Welcome to Mary's Cup of Tea, the self-love podcast for women. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski, an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that will inspire you to love yourself. Hello, self-lover. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. Thousands of people have this book and the five-star reviews are so amazing. They give me so much life. So I hope that this is something that can help you too. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com slash book. After releasing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I realized that we really needed something to keep us going every single day. So not a deep dive workbook, but maybe like a micro dose of self-love in your daily life, which is why I wrote 100 Days of Self-Love. It's a guided journal with, you guessed it, 100 prompts that cover so many areas of life, including body, identity, purpose, emotions, mindset, relationships, and more. So you can really think of it as a metaphor multivitamin, something to keep you going, or as I like to say, growing on your self-love journey. You can get this journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. It's my mission to share all the self-love tea with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can do just that. In a time of crisis, When it feels like everyone is losing their minds and the world is falling apart and we're seeing horrific, tragic events unfold before our eyes, emotional intelligence is important now more than ever. And sadly, I believe that this level of collective rage and grief and horror and terror, I think it might only get worse before it gets better. That's not a commentary on the state of the world, but it's a observation on how things unfold in a digital age where we don't have any kind of regulation around technology and the ethics around it. So critical thinking, self-emotional regulation is the only thing that we have to rely upon. Since social media is this consolidated place for us to be bombarded with news and opinions and hot takes and emotions, facts, maybe some that are partially true, some that are not that true, things pulled out of context, misinformation, disinformation— There's so much out there that we are consuming, and I'm not here to talk to you about media literacy or make any kind of political commentary, nor am I here to give you basic ass advice like, turn off your phone and take a walk, although that is important, and I'm not going to pretend like I know the answer to geopolitical conflicts that have developed over millennia. Of course, I care about humanitarian issues and social justice. And this particular conflict I've actually been caring about for years and been learning about the history and just reading 
so much that has changed my worldview quite dramatically. This is a podcast, however, about self-love, and some may say that it's selfish to talk about self-love when other people are suffering, but I disagree. It's not selfish to want to be calm and grounded and present, informed, regulated, compassionate during a time like this. So if you want political commentary, if you want education on history, if you want social justice or activism, then you are free to listen to another podcast. But I'm assuming you're here because you want to learn how to cope with crisis in an emotionally intelligent way. Because you staying in an agitated place for an extended period of time and having your emotions be treated like a piñata by not just the media, I don't mean that in like, a, oh, it's the big media. I mean that in just like social media and the way the algorithms are designed. And again, the lack of regulation and tech <laughs> ethics that go into that. Platforms that are essentially designed for your emotions to be treated like a piñata. You going through this is not helping Palestinians, nor is it supporting the people of Israel, nor is it changing <laughs> certain dynamics, opinions, perspectives, hate crimes. It's not changing the actions of governments or terrorists. Now, of course, there is something to be said about the power of public outcry and how we can all rally to stand up for a cause and donate, fundraise, get the attention of policymakers, and in some ways shift collective beliefs for the better. But Knowing how and when to compartmentalize is a very healthy coping mechanism. Of course, if we do it all the time with no regard for issues to be dealt with or other people's feelings, it does go from compartmentalization to avoidance, but I just don't think that's the case for most of us. If you're listening to this, then you're probably highly empathetic and you probably really deeply care, as do I. That's why I'm recording this episode because I'm thinking to myself, like, what is my contribution here? Like, what can I do to the best of my ability with pure intentions and my full heart? So if you're anything like me, consuming horrific information, getting emotional, feeling very conflicted, refreshing your feed, occasionally reposting something that sounds convincing, getting into heated debates with people you're close to or maybe strangers on the internet or people you know will disagree with you and then it just ends up being a waste of both of your emotional energies. If you're wanting it all to stop and feeling very helpless and dreadful and worried about the future and the state of the world, then let's talk about five ways, this five-step process. God, I like over, over prepared for this podcast episode because I really just want to focus on what I feel confident and comfortable talking about while also highlighting that you feeling dysregulated is not helping Palestinians, it's not helping Jews, and it's certainly not helping you. So this five-step process to coping with crisis in an emotionally intelligent way. I hope this is something that you can practice, not just for this particular point in time, but also for years to come. So step one is choose. 
choose to what extent you're willing to participate. Back in 2018, I read a post that really resonated with me. And I reposted it on Instagram. And as often happens on social media, the feedback that I received was mixed because it is, you know, a little bit. Well, I'm going to read it to you in just a second. So you can draw your own conclusions. But then when I revisited this post at some point in 2020 or 2021, when when shit felt really heavy and scary in the United States, I just must admit that I was too scared to post it again because it seemed like everyone was in this mindset of, if you're not being super vocal about your beliefs, then you're complacent and that's just as bad. And this might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think that everyone's activism looks the same. That's why step one is choose. Choose to what extent you're willing to participate. What can you contribute? Just like I you know, expressed with this podcast episode that I spent the past few hours preparing for and I'm now recording, this is what I felt like at this point in time I can contribute with pure intentions and my full heart. So this is a post from, I think her name is Carla Jane. I looked up her Instagram to confirm. She doesn't have a huge following and I I believe it's just like a personal account, but years back, I guess like five years ago now, she posted this. To the person who uses metal straws to save fish but consumes animals, I'd like to say thank you. To the vegan who isn't aware of our homelessness problem, thank you. To the climate change activists who aren't attentive to fast fashion, thank you. To the girl who gives her old clothes to the disadvantaged but isn't educated on sex trafficking, thank you. To the guy who picks up rubbish on his way home from a surf but isn't well informed about male suicide rates, thank you. To the people who stand up for horse racing concerns but are uninformed of the cruelty on the dairy industry farms, thank you. To the positive Instagram influencer who hasn't cultivated a plastic-free lifestyle, thank you. To the grandparents who knit for sick children but aren't up to date with the current race and homophobic issues, thank you. To the students that stand up for bullying but are unaware of the constant domestic violence epidemic, thank you. To the peace activists, feminists, stray dog adopters, teachers, volunteers, foster carers, recyclers, givers, doers, and believers, I say thank you. We are all on different paths and we all see through different eyes. Current world issues that you are passionate about aren't always what other people are trying to change and that's okay. It's not everyone's job to save every part of the world, but it is everyone's responsibility to thank every person who is doing their part to save the world. Don't critique, appreciate. Don't judge, educate. We're all trying our best. Thank you. I hope this resonates with you as much as it did with me. And like I said, I was nervous to repost this in 2020 and 2021. It didn't feel right at the time. I don't know if I've changed or become more brave. I I don't know. All I'm saying is that this zoomed out perspective of how we're all doing something in different ways. And you might think that some people aren't doing enough for your particular cause, but guess what? Like they're thinking the same shit about you and the stuff that you don't care about, or maybe don't even know about. 
and that's okay. But the more we like judge and shame each other, the worse it's going to get. We need some people to be super educated and vocal and passionate, but we also need people who never post on social media because they're literally flying across the world to volunteer themselves to humanitarian aid in Ukraine. Like I personally know people like this. Who am I to say that you know, your your activism is incorrect because you're not doing it the way I would do it. And if every doctor decided to join Doctors Without Borders and go to Israel, Palestine and help the people, the children there, then who's going to perform a hip replacement surgery on someone's grandma who fell down the stairs here at home? Do you know what I mean? Like, we need people. And of course, these are like very dramatic scenarios and situations that I'm pulling to prove a point. Not all of us are flying across the world or joining Doctors Without Borders, but we're all doing our little small part. And as long as you can say that you are doing what you have the capacity for right now, whether that's sending a penny over to a cause that you believe in or rescuing a dog that is perfectly good too. Shame doesn't motivate people. And at a certain point, I think there's a lot of virtue signaling happening online because this tricks your brain into feeling like you did something good when all you did was add to the noise. So choose your version of good and stop shaming others for theirs. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the last person to shame somebody else. So I think this could also extend to shaming yourself, like choose your version of good and stop shaming yourself for only having the capacity for your version of good, whatever that is in this moment. So choose. Step two is compartmentalize. We already touched on this a little earlier, but discernment is a skill. So yes, your feelings are valid in a sense that they're real and warranted, like anger, sadness, even despair is totally reasonable given what we're witnessing in real time. So I invite you to process emotions privately before saying something you regret. And I'm saying this more to myself than anybody else, because I'll admit uh, last week I failed to do this. I got into a pretty heated discussion with my husband. Really, it was more of a monologue. And I said some things that were completely out of line and insensitive and just me trying to be right in some twisted way, you know? What purpose did that serve? So as always, we teach best what we have to learn. I watched this TikTok. It was a while back. I'll try to find it and link it in the episode description. Just like anything else I mention, I usually do my best to put it in the episode description. So if you if you hear me referencing like a book or a video or article or something, check the episode description because it might be there. I watched this TikTok of a therapist sharing how it takes 90 seconds to metabolize an emotion. Of course, I did a quick Google search to fact check this because it seemed convincing yet oversimplified. And what I found was that this idea came from a Harvard-educated brain scientist, Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. Seems like a cool lady. She popularized this idea that it takes 90 seconds for the physiological experience of fight, flight, freeze to pass through the body if you acknowledge it for what it is. So if you take 90 seconds to let it move through you, maybe you're doing some sort of movement, maybe you're doing your breathing practice, a meditation, and allowing it to dissipate while 
cognizantly naming what it is. So for example, I feel angry and I feel like punching a pillow or I feel angry and I feel like punching somebody. So instead I'm going to punch the pillow to like let my anger out. That is healthy. Otherwise, if you don't give yourself those 90 seconds to like process, name, do some sort of like physical thing to get it out of your body, that emotion gets either stuck without being processed or we continue ruminating on it, i.e. over-processing it, but in like an unhelpful way and more of like an intellectualized way instead of actually like getting in our body and letting it like move through you. I think a classic example is a lot of us who study psychology mental health who are just like interested in personal development, we might tend to like intellectualize things as opposed to really letting ourselves like be with the feeling, with the emotion. Granted, this 90 second claim, I couldn't find a peer-reviewed study on it. So (laughs) I don't know how accurate like the number is, but I think it's helpful to know that you don't have to sit in negative feelings for days in order to adequately process them. And on the flip side, you need to adequately process an emotion in order to essentially get over it. It might take 90 seconds of breathing, walking, jumping up and down, journaling, you know, those physical embodiment practices that will help you let the emotion pass through you. And then after that, you can shift to this healthy dose of compartmentalization. To be honest, I always thought compartmentalizing was like a negative coping skill until pretty much just last week, I was in couples therapy with my husband and we were talking about how my husband is like really good at compartmentalizing. Like he can set something aside, or so it seems to me, I don't know, but it seems like he can set it aside and then like focus on his day. Whereas I'm the kind of person that can't get on with my day unless I let out whatever it is that I'm feeling. So I don't think there's like a right or wrong way. We're all obviously just learning, but our therapist said like, you know, there's nothing wrong with compartmentalizing. It allows you to function as a human being in this society. It allows you to get your work done to do what needs to be done. So maybe your version of compartmentalization is like making a mental sticky note to adequately research a topic later because right here, right now, your energy is better allocated toward your work, your family, your friends, your community, your self-care. Like it's okay to take breaks from the news. It's okay to disconnect. It's okay to feel joy amidst pain. It's okay to like grieve And also be really grateful. It's not selfish. It's not shameful. You don't have to be in a constant state of panic and crisis because that's not a sign of you caring more than somebody else who is maybe also really sad and really scared, but is doing their best to find their own pieces of peace and joy and love within their small circle. Our family members in Israel, they literally sent a smiling selfie from the bunker along with a voice note cracking some joke. I don't remember what it was about. 
totally unrelated to what was going on, but just some laughter like that is healthy, that's necessary. And it's okay for for you to go through all of these feelings while sometimes compartmentalizing them and setting them aside so that you can do whatever you need to do in your life right here, right now. About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. Step three, and this is the part where we will talk about the media a little bit, but it's just being conscious of what you consume. Consume consciously. A friend recommended a podcast episode to me, and I'm always skeptical because you know, podcasters can really be on their high horse, (laughs) I say as a podcaster. But anyway, the podcast episode was actually so good and I want everybody to listen to it. It's called, Why Has Social Media Made It Impossible to Follow the Israel-Hamas War? And it's on the offline podcast. So I haven't listened to other episodes, but I think the whole podcast is about like critiquing social media. The host is called John Favreau, is named, not called. The host is named John Favreau. Again, not super familiar with with him or his platform, but this one podcast episode was a really valuable listen on why social media is terribly, terribly equipped for delivering news about the war, not just this war, many, many things, helping us process and recognizing people's humanity. Like to say that we're overstimulated, undereducated, hyper informed, yet quasi aware is an understatement. The same person who recommended this podcast to me is actually a therapist and an influencer. You might already be following her, Amanda E. White. She's at Therapy for Women on Instagram. I actually just recorded an interview with her that is going to air next month. We talk about sobriety and quitting alcohol. Again, totally unrelated. But before we started recording, we were just chatting about the state of the world and what's going on, how we're coping. And she has a really good tip for staying emotionally regulated while consuming current events. The way that she presented it, I guess, really resonated with me because I've been trying to find words to this and she said them better than I could. So basically what she says is instead of watching the news, which let's be real, a lot of us do on TikTok or Instagram, that's what that podcast episode Why has social media made it impossible to follow the Israel-Hamas war? Like, it's really fucked up to admit that most of us 
get our news from TikTok or Instagram. That should not be the case, but it's kind of where we're at. So instead of like watching the news, whether that's on TV or on your phone, choose one sensory input through which you'll absorb information. So when you watch the news, you're hit with visuals audio and you're often reading the captions and comments at the same time like for me it's literally a triple threat because I'm I'm hearing it and I'm a very big audio processor so that literally those sounds will live in my mind forever then you're seeing it and a lot of people are visual processors so they're those images are going to stick in your mind and on top of that you're exposing yourself to what all the other people think <laughs> in response to this post right Instead, it might be helpful to choose, firstly, choose like two to three news sources, podcasts, or publications that you follow, that you trust, that are credible, and either listen to the podcast or actually read the article because this stops your brain from sensory overload. You're essentially only absorbing, receiving information through one sensory input. So it's like either words that your brain can process. And again, it just slows down this entire process. I'm saying process a lot here, but it just helps you like slow it down a little bit. Or you're hearing the audio, right? You're not bombarded with all three at the same time. And Amanda in our conversation also pointed out that some of us are literally watching TV, scrolling TikTok, and I wouldn't put it past me to have my laptop open next to me also. It's too much. It's just too much. And these social media platforms are designed to keep you hooked forever. And at a certain point, you have to stop injecting the proverbial drug. So consume consciously. Consume consciously. We're still going to consume, but maybe there is something that you could be a little bit more mindful about if only it's like reducing one form of sensory input. The other day, I listened to this fascinating five-hour podcast about slavery. That's how I spent my Saturday. I was repotting some plants, doing a little gardening, and listening to a five-hour podcast on slavery. Was it absolutely awful? Yes. Was it also like expansive and just like mind-altering and educating? Also, yes. And I felt like a better person having listened to that podcast because it was from a person that I trust. It's Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Very well-researched, very educated, beautifully told, like absolutely gripping, so complex. It was just like everything. And even though it was awful to hear about, it was awful in a way that it was like productive for me to learn about as opposed to the situation of where you're receiving some terrible, awful news, being bombarded through all the sensory inputs, not knowing what to do with the information or how to digest it or what to make of it, and then being left even worse off, hopeless, helpless, and in despair. Don't put yourself in that situation. I want to give you a book recommendation here because one thing I love about reading stories and listening to actual people's stories is that it lets you go from this zoomed out, super generalized, statistics, numbers-based, gargantuan, crazy 
incomprehensible horror that your brain doesn't even know what to do with, how to digest it, how to comprehend it, and actually zoom in and focus on a single person's story and the impact on their family. And this book, it's called The Lemon Tree. It actually follows two families. It follows a Arab family, a Palestinian family, and it follows a Jewish family, which later became an Israeli family. And if you're anything like me, refreshing your social media feed in horror, calling your family members and trying to talk to them about it, but not really knowing how to do that effectively without just regurgitating a post you saw and just trying to like piece this whole thing together, this book will really help not only educate you, but also inspire you to look at the humans beneath it all, which we have to keep reminding ourselves to do because again, we live in technology. I always joke that anytime a person gets behind machinery, that could be a phone, that could be a car, that could be a gun, we become wild. We lose our humanity. There's something about getting behind a piece of technology that makes us almost feel like braver than we are and more aggressive than we are at times. And we forget that common humanity. We can see it with, you know, the comment fights and how mean people are to each other or road rage when they get behind a wheel and not to mention during a war. So I think logging off of social media and picking up a book you're going to actually really enjoy reading this, I think. You're going to love, love, love this book. It's called The Lemon Tree. It's going to teach you so much. It's going to make you just understand a little bit more of what's going on and why people are so passionate and hurt by it. And I'd just like to make a note here that the book holds a relatively unbiased perspective from what I picked up. And then after reading a few reviews on Goodreads, However, about two-thirds of the way through, the author, I believe the author's name is Sandy Tolan, the author seems to kind of side, I hate that word, but side with the Palestinian people. And I think when you read this, it will make sense why in this particular historical narrative, in this story, why, you know, her rhetoric changes. That doesn't mean that I'm trying to get you to read this book to change your mind. It just means that in this particular piece of literature, that is how the story unfolds. And I loved reading it because it expanded my perspective. It didn't make me like take a side or change my mind about Jewish people. And if or not, they have a right to be in Israel. It just made me kind of see the repercussions of how things unfolded pretty tragically. No thanks to Great Britain and the United States. Okay, I promise this wouldn't be political commentary. So anyway, the keyword here is people, people and their stories, not not terrorists, not not rapists, not murderers, not governments, not big forces that we don't even know anything about and can't wrap our minds around. These are real real people and their stories are worth reading about. So I hope you enjoyed The Lemon Tree as much as I did. I'll link it for you in the description of this podcast episode. Step four is question. I added question in here, again, not as a form of political commentary, but just as a seed planter, because like I said at the beginning, 
I really think that social media is only going to get worse before it ever gets better. And we might as well learn how to question things now. This four-step questioning process that I love to resort to is something I learned from Byron Katie, who taught me so much about emotional intelligence and reframing my thoughts and ultimately just making my mindset better on my own, right? She calls it like not self-healing, but kind of like being your own therapist in a more condensed form. And even though Byron Katie intended for these four questions, which I'll go over with you in just a second, even though she intended these questions to be as a form of self-inquiry for personal development, I think that these questions are really good because they can be transferred and applied to anything we stumble on. You'll see why in just a second. So the first question is, is it true? Again, you can use this to address a negative thought that you're having or maybe something you're seeing on the internet. Is it true? Second question is, can you absolutely know that it's true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? Gosh, I've seen such convincing things on the internet and then come to find out they're either absolutely not true or usually there's some somewhere in the gray area of like yeah but like this person is just like really persuasive and using a lot of rhetoric or their past beliefs are like really questionable and anti-humanitarian so as much as they want to be on their moral high ground now I don't know if this is a person we should listen to but people don't like research the source like we're not Googling every single TikTok we're scrolling by, right? Even when I was researching that 90 second thing about 90 seconds to process your emotions, one article said a Harvard brain scientist, Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor. Okay. I looked up Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor. She's not a Harvard brain scientist. When you say Harvard brain scientist, you're assuming that she's actively researching at Harvard. She just went to Harvard, but her PhD is actually from Indiana University. Again, I'm not saying like she's any less educated or anything, but just in terms of like how information is presented to us, I mean, it's not a lie to say she's a Harvard brain scientist, but a more accurate statement would be like she's a Harvard educated brain scientist, not she's at Harvard right now doing research on this quote-unquote fact that I'm about to present to you. And like I said, I couldn't find a single peer-reviewed study on that claim. That's not to say that she's not a great person or researcher or that her claim about 90 seconds to process an emotion isn't helpful to people. Her TED Talk is great. I'm not saying that she shouldn't be trusted. I'm saying that what you read on the internet shouldn't be trusted. So can you absolutely know that it's true? The third question is, How do you react when you believe that thought? How do you react when you believe that thought? I think this one just speaks for itself. And who would you be without the thought? It's worth mentioning that the thought can be replaced with like the claim. How do you react when you believe that claim that you see on the internet? And who would you be without believing that claim on the internet? Who would you be? This last question is obviously very, very complicated, right? Because so many of us are so set in our ways, so set in our beliefs, whether they're about ourselves or the world around us. So when we see something that shatters our worldview, it can bring up a lot. 
That's why we were in couples therapy last week, because there were a lot of things that have shattered my worldview that I needed support with processing without driving myself or my partner absolutely insane, as I am guilty to admit, I already have in a sense. So sometimes it's worth thinking about like, almost like what benefit is this bringing me to believe this? Is it letting my ego feel like it's right? Is it letting me hate on a group of people? Is it letting me oversimplify something that's very complex and just digestible? So I'm just going to like go with this because it feels so much easier than continuing my education. Is it anything else? Like who would you be without that claim? My last step to coping with crisis in an emotionally intelligent way is to care. Care. Don't stop caring. Care about the crisis, but don't forget to care about yourself. One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show, Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.